Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Suffering with Spurs podcast with me, Sean Torgerman. Recording this the day after our 2 0 home win over Fulham, that has put us back to the top of the table. And yeah, we are back at the top of the table. Um, it's, it's a weird feeling to sort of consistently be at the top of the table. In my lifetime, we've had moments, fleeting moments, where we, especially like in the first sort of month of a season when we may have been at the top. And even in our sort of title challenging years in 15, 16 and 16, 17, although we finished third and then second, we weren't actually at the top for any period of time. The last time we had any sort of, when I say consistent, I mean more than a couple of days at the top of the table was in Mourinho's last, well, second and last season, uh, COVID times when we uh, had no fans and we were top after, I think after nine games then as well. And we went to Liverpool um, and lost in the last minute. It was at that time where they let sort of 2,000 fans in and we went there um, and we went 1-0 down, if you remember, and we uh, got a goal back through Sonny. And then it was a last-minute Firmino header that put Liverpool, which won the game for Liverpool and put them top of the table. And then it was never really the same after that. And that was sort of the beginning of the end. Uh, this obviously doesn't feel like that at all. If you remember, that team wasn't really getting praised. We were winning games, but we were very much being spoken about as awful to watch much as that Conte team was and it was very much Mourinho masterclass in every game where we beat City we beat Arsenal but they were very much sort of defensive performances where we were capitalizing on our ability to hit on the counter-attack this doesn't feel like that at all which is why it's quite unerring because we are top of the league and everything at the moment points to the fact that we deserve to be top of the league and that we can, at least for now, try and stay consistent and stay in the position we're in. We've obviously got an opportunity to go to Sellhurst on Friday before anyone else plays. This week we played after everyone else and now we're playing before everyone else with the chance to temporarily go top of the league by five points, which is definitely not something that Spurs have done in my lifetime. I'm almost certain about that. Um, ever since I've been sort of following football properly, the first season would probably have been, that I can remember really, would probably be sort of 93, 94. We definitely haven't ever been top of the league by five points at any any stage. And that still hasn't happened because Sellhurst isn't an easy game. Although we do, uh, Palace at Sellhurst isn't an easy game. Although we do have a very good record there, even in that bleak Conte season last year, we won 4-0 there with a, a really good performance from Brian Hill and a, and two goals from Harry Kane. Um, so we should go there full of confidence. Palace aren't playing brilliantly at the moment. They just got thrashed away to Newcastle. Um, so that is that is a big opportunity again to, to continue this momentum. And it is all about momentum. Uh, yesterday wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination and we'll get into the game soon but it was a game we were expected to win we're not necessarily brilliant at winning games that we're expected to win even in sort of recent if you look over the sort of last six or seven years whenever there's been an opportunity to sort of capitalize on a 
on a on a chance to sort of push up the table or go top, something like that, we invariably find a way to make it very, very difficult for ourselves. And in in my experience, games that we are expected to win tends to be the ones that we trip up on. And that didn't happen. It was pretty much went off without a hitch. You're not going to go through any game sort of infallible and brilliant the whole way through. And we weren't brilliant yesterday, but a combination of Fulham not being particularly great and us sort of playing with confidence and maybe sometimes a little bit overconfident, but seeing the game out, getting a clean sheet and winning 2-0. And 2-0 is a a sort of scoreline that we're becoming quite familiar with under Andrew. We'd obviously love a few more goals and there were definitely opportunities to get a few more goals. I'm particularly thinking about that moment where Madison had been chasing down for what felt like 15 or 20 seconds to eventually get the ball again off Calvin Bassett, who had an absolute nightmare. And he was clean through on goal and he definitely would have put it away if Sonny hadn't got in his way. And he was clearly visibly annoyed by that. And I think he was still at the end of the game, to be honest. And he even did an interview afterwards where he sort of mentioned it. But yeah, 2-0, back to the top of the league, clear by two points. And uh, it's quite, like I say, it's quite an unerring feeling. It's not a feeling that I'm sure any of you will be familiar with being top of the league by clear points, knowing that you could go five points clear um, in a few days. And yeah, so we're so used to sort of having something to chase that now we have something to hold on to. And people will say, and it's been said by pundits, fans, virgins on Twitter, that we're getting ahead of ourselves, that Spurs are getting too overexcited. Look, We've played half of the league now, pretty much. Okay, we're into our tenth, going into our tenth game. We will have played half the league. Yes, we've had games against teams that we should be beating. Fulham are one of those teams, um, along with those teams that have been mentioned very often near the bottom of the table. We've played all the promoted teams: um, Burnley, Sheffield United, Luton. We've played Bournemouth. The majority of those away from home, by the way. So um, that's no easy. F- easy thing to do. Yes, they're losing, but you still have to beat those teams. And I mean, if the league was only down to beating the teams you're supposed to beat, then you'd put, you'd say that we're supposed supposed to be beating sort of 14 or 15 of the other teams in the league every time we play them. And it's not as simple as that. Teams can, you can fall away. You can not win games you're supposed to win. Arsenal didn't beat this Fulham team at home um, a month or so ago. In fact, they played against 10 men and ended up drawing two all at home. So it's not as simple as that. Um, And I've noticed that they've been particularly quiet about all the teams we've played since we beat Fulham yesterday, because they're obviously fully aware that they didn't beat them. So uh, yeah, we've, we've, but we've also played Arsenal away, which is considered one of the hardest games uh, at the moment in the league, we've played Liverpool at home. We beat them. Doesn't matter how it happened. Doesn't matter that they want to replay. We beat Liverpool at home. Um, we've beaten Man United at home. I mean, those are, no matter what anyone says, Arsenal, Liverpool and Man United are historically the three most successful clubs in English football history. So I'm not really sure what anyone wants to say about that. Like we haven't played City yet, of course, but obviously we'll be going to City in a 
when we do go there at the beginning of December, it will be with a different sort of game plan to the game plan we usually play against City, which normally comes out with a positive result for us. But those things matter. We are notoriously very, very good against City, whichever way we decide to play. So um, the, the message really to take from this is we shouldn't fear anyone and don't listen to all the nonsense about who we've played, who we haven't played. We've played some of the best teams and we've played some of the worst teams. The teams we haven't really faced yet, I mean, other than Fulham yesterday, are those teams sort of in between, let's say, 6th and 14th, who can you can trip up again on against on any day, but you can also beat on any day. Um, teams like Villa and Newcastle are obviously uh, ones to be wary of. Chelsea now coming into a little bit of form as well. Um, we've got them... Uh, next month, not this Monday coming, but the Monday after that. So they're obviously teams to be wary of, but we shouldn't fear anyone at the moment because the fact of the matter is we're unbeaten. We haven't lost a league game this season. In fact, we haven't lost any game in 90 minutes this season. We obviously uh, lost on penalties to Fulham in the Carabao Cup, but in any 90-minute match, we are still unbeaten. And that's something to, to be unbelievably proud of at this stage under a brand new manager with a load of new players it's been largely forgotten, but without Harry Kane, who's been our stalwart, our top goal scorer for the past 10 seasons. Uh, so, yeah, things are brilliant at the moment. And uh, as I said, we'll get into the game now. It wasn't all plain sailing, but what they say about teams that are going on to achieve something is that it's about those games where you don't play brilliantly. And it's about getting results anyway in games that you weren't good in. So, we weren't awful yesterday in the first half. We were relatively good. But as Ange said, and I'm glad he said it because I felt exactly the same way, the second half was pretty dour, really. Um, and it started that way as well. But we'll start from the beginning. The, um, yeah, we we started the game relatively well, uh, as we as we tend to do. And it's such an amazing contrast from last season where even home games against teams like Fulham, although we did actually play quite well against Fulham at home last season. That was one of the sort of standout games at the beginning of last season. The one where Richarlison um, took his shirt off and went for a run down the pitch when he thought he'd scored his first goal for Spurs, only for it to be um, chalked out for offside. But yeah, we, we start games in the way that we used to, the way that we used to start them under Harry Redknapp, if you remember, we used to just get the ball, dominate possession immediately and and start trying to score goals. And that's what we did for the first sort of five or 10 minutes yesterday. Fulham got themselves sort of a little bit shored up at the back after that. And they looked like they were, they were playing relatively well, but we're still creating a few chances. Um, Madison was all over the place realised he wasn't necessarily going to be receiving the ball in the areas he wanted to. So he came back to collect it. Um, and yeah, we were, we played relatively well. And then the first real chance of the game actually fell to, to Fulham. And it was an, another brilliant save from Vicario who's just pulling them out left, right and centre at the moment. That header from Palinia uh, from the corner, from the corner was brilliant. Uh, he definitely saw it late. I've seen it since. He definitely saw it late. And that was a brilliant save. Um, and then, yeah, the game was kind of in the balance at that moment. And you were starting to wonder, is this going to be one of those where Fulham or just the, the opposition are able to nullify us by putting everyone behind the ball? And that's definitely what they did for the first half an hour. We are notoriously, we notoriously struggle with trying to break down that inverted commas, low block, as they call it. Um, 
but it 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 felt like something was going to happen and that was largely down to the fact that we were pressing all over the place in just in in a way I'd sort of associate with Liverpool of a few years ago like we were giving them no time on the ball when they got it and Madison above everyone was the person sort of leading that press Sonny always does but I've always felt like Sonny chases sort of lost causes in a sort of silly way sometimes Madison's pressing is just so intelligent um and those front three um especially on that side anyway Madison Richarlison and Sonny were chasing everything down and it eventually forced a, a mistake from Bassey and it's been sort of lauded since by Jamie Carragher the the touch from Van de Ven there is just so perfect. He just cushions the ball. It's a ball that's pretty much flying towards him and he could very easily have sort of miscontrolled it or just done a typical centre-back thing and just allowed it to hit him. But he cushioned it perfectly into the path of Richarlison, who yet again proved that he really is actually effective in that sort of left-wing role because he, he it's another assist for him. And yet, obviously, there is a part of his game at which we're crying out for more quality from, which is his finishing. And he did have a shot just before them, which was sort of played, laid off beautifully for him by Kulisevsky. And he cushioned it really well. And one sort of one foot to the left and it would have gone in. Um, and he did make decent contact with it. But we'll get to his finishing soon. His assist, another assist for Sonny, um, and and in those sort of situations, he does do really, really well. He doesn't hesitate. His football brain's quite good, Richarlison. He makes the right decision at the right time. Again, if you think back to that Liverpool goal where um, the first goal against Liverpool, where he plays it with the outside of his foot to Sonny, again, he could have been selfish. He could have sort of snatched at something, seeing that he was in a little bit of space, but he didn't. He doesn't think he plays the first time ball straight away. And it was another first time ball into Sonny's path. He um, could have laid it off to Kulisevsky, but instead he sort of controlled it, did a little shimmy, and then you know, you really do know with Sonny, nine times out of ten, he's going to curl that ball into the far corner. And because we're so used to seeing that finish from him, it's almost like we've come to accept it, to expect it, and maybe we take it for granted, and it doesn't look as good anymore. But how often do you see players finish in that way? You really, really don't. Sonny is a master at it. And the amount, I think if you went through all his goals for Spurs, the amount of them that he has just taken on that right foot and occasionally left foot and just buried in a top corner is unbelievable. And like I said, the moment he got in that position, you kind of expect him to score, which is pretty incredible considering he was outside the box when he did it. But you just know his accuracy from that range um, is just so good. And that's his seventh goal of the season. And it's just mad to think now, isn't it really, that when Harry Kane left, the, all the questions were about, is Richarlison going to be able to step up and take that centre forward role on. And I think everyone was umming and ahhing about it because he obviously hadn't been, he hadn't been prolific or even close to it in front of goal last season. But we were all saying that he hadn't really been given an opportunity to play up front very often because obviously Harry Kane was always there. And ever since that Burnley game where Richarlison didn't actually start and Solomon started and Sonny played up front, it's become very obvious that we had the answer as we should really have probably known at the time we had the answer all along 
in Sonny to play up front because he used to deputise so often for uh, Spurs when Kane went through his sort of three or four year period where he always gets some form of injury that would keep him out for a month or so at some point during the season. And especially in 17, 18, 18, 19, Llorente um, used to come in occasionally, but in general, whether it be through just taking over in terms of scoring goals or actually just playing up front, Sonny did it. Uh, Lucas Moura did it as well for a little bit, of course, in, in that Champions League final season. But it looks like we had the answer all along. And obviously, he's not the long-term solution because he's 31 now and we don't know how long he's going to be able to play at this level. But I mean, I don't see him falling off anytime soon. He's not going to lose his finishing ability. He may have lost a little tiny bit of pace, but he's still fast and he really has been the answer to the to the, to the Kane puzzle. And uh, he's second top goal scorer in the league right now. We're only two behind Haaland. And I think that speaks for itself, really. Um, we then, after that first goal, went on a sort of a rampage for the next 10 minutes where we really should have scored a few more. Some brilliant little moves in there, uh, culminating in one where there was a really intricate bit of passing between Udoji, Madison, a back heel from Sun, back to Udoji. He just went to put it in with the outside of his his foot and it got blocked, came back to Kulisevsky and Kulisevsky um, smashed what was going to, a shot that was going to go on goal in, into the goal, but obviously got deflected off Palina. Um And yeah, we had a, a good few opportunities in that first half and it felt like we were just going to take on the second half um, and go and score more goals. But, and I've seen this a few times with, with Spurs and it's weird really because we were notorious last season for, for actually being much, much better in the second half. And our first halves were the ones that we needed to sort out. But we we came out just very, very lethargically in that second half. And there were just, uh, it's in the first couple of minutes, there were a lot of loose passes and it just set the tone for the rest of the second half. It really, really did. Um, and leading up to that second goal, we didn't really look like we were in sync with each other. And the second goal was very, very similar to the first in the fact that it came from a misplaced Calvin Bassey pass because he'd been put under pressure by by Madison. And uh, this time it fell to Hoiberg, who I'll get to in a minute, who had a great game for someone who would definitely have been, the fans would definitely have been nervous about Hoiberg coming in for understandable reasons. He doesn't have the same attributes as Basuma, but he played really well and it, the ball fell to him and it was another first time pass this time with his left, with his left foot that fell straight into the path of, um, of Son, who I thought might have been offside, but then you could see that Bassi was still on the byline, keeping him well on. Um, and that was a great first time pass. And it was really, really, a really, really good example of, of what sort of football we're trying to play. Cause I feel like Ange doesn't want players to take too many touches. And I think he's drilled that into them because I don't, I'm not sure if last season Hoiberg would have controlled that and then looked for a pass or looked to play something a bit more pragmatic. But his first instinct was, let's play that first time to Sonny. Sonny, brilliant, took his time, um, waited for Madison. And Madison is just so intelligent because you can see so many players. I, I genuinely believe if that was Richarlison, I don't want to, this isn't to dig Richarlison out, but if it was Richarlison who'd been in Madison's position there, you feel like he may have just wandered offside with the excitement of being about to receive the ball from Sonny. But you can see Madison, he actively keeps himself on, on side to receive the pass from Sonny. 
Again, the pass actually wasn't perfect for him. It got played onto his left foot, but instead of snatching at it, Madison took his time, allowed it to come onto his right, and you always knew he was going to score after that, passed it perfectly um, into the opposite corner. And uh, yeah, that, that obviously made it 2-0, which was brilliant because it felt like it came at a time we really needed it because Fulham was starting to get a bit of a stronghold in the game and I don't feel like we were really... Yeah, we, we weren't. We Something had changed in that second half for whatever reason, whether it be, I don't know, tiredness. You couldn't really use that because they've had extra days off that other teams haven't. But just something had, had changed and players were misplacing a few too many passes. I feel like... Maybe they fat them. Maybe they were finding the game too easy. I'm not really sure, but uh, we got that goal, and then maybe there was a couple of there might have been a couple of other opportunities in that second half, um, especially that one, which would have been another goal, really, really similar, where Madison had uh, chased down Bassey. As I've said already, he was in a position to put that away, and for whatever reason, him and Sonny got confused. I think Sonny sort of saw it as an, saw it as an opportunity for him to score. Um, and ended up getting in Madison's way, which he was visibly really pissed off about. And then he ended up just playing it into the keeper. But apart from that moment there, it was a really, really poor second half performance. Um, as Ange said, it just wasn't, there were, it, and that wasn't through lack of effort or anything like that. As he also said, the pressing was still really good. We still, when we did give the ball away, we're right on top of Fulham straight away to try and win it back. So it wasn't sort of a lack of effort or anything. Our, our quality on the ball just fell off massively. And I think that kind of coincided, although it wasn't obviously his fault, it kind of coincided with having Udoji come off and having Emerson Royale come on. And Emerson Royale is a perfectly sort of capable player when he plays at right back, we know he's not as talented in any way as a dodgy, especially going forward. But it just disrupted the balance of the team a little bit, even more, I think. And there's obviously a reason that uh, Postacoglu took off Udogi, whether he was feet having a niggle, maybe he was he was tired from his. He'd obviously played 90 minutes against England. Um, I suppose it was six days earlier, so that couldn't really have been a reason. But for whatever reason, he took him off, and and Emerson just look like someone who hadn't played a lot of football in a while. That's how it seemed to me anyway. Um, and yeah, it kind of disrupted it. And then this is obviously a concern when players who've been playing regularly, Saar, Madison, Sun start to come off and their replacements come on. There is a real feeling that we're missing something. And the, these players, we pretty much kept the same sort of starting eleven with the occasional few subs coming in, Hoiberg being one of the regular subs, and he was obviously playing. Um, so there is going to be a bit of disruption, especially if the quality of the player isn't quite the same, and especially if those players haven't been playing very regularly. And Oliver Skip, again, don't want to call anyone out, tries his best every time, but he came on and had not a nightmare, but it, it wasn't a good performance from him. He gave the ball away a lot. He didn't look comfortable in that, in that midfield. Again, he looked like someone who hasn't been playing a lot of first-team football recently. And that is one of the issues, although we obviously are reaping the benefits of only playing one game a week at the moment, although we'll obviously be playing two this week. Um, those fringe players who aren't first choice aren't getting match 
fitness or sharpness and Skip's definitely one of them and that the, was such a marked difference when he came onto the pitch and it didn't make Hoiberg worse because I still think Hoiberg had a great game and like I said I'll get into detail with Hoiberg soon but um, Hoiberg didn't have the security of Saar sort of just the energy that Saar has and his ability to get around the pitch is just, it goes unnoticed a lot of the time, I think, because he doesn't do anything spectacular, but he's so good. And Skip at his best, when he's had match sharpness, when he's when he's been in the side regularly, he's capable of the same sort of game. And he's shown that and he was great. I mean, last season he had great games. Him and Saar together away at AC Milan were brilliant. There is a player in there in Skip, but is he just... He goes through so many stages where he's not in the side, whether it be through injury or just not being first choice. And I'd, I'd be surprised if Skip is at the club much longer um, under Postacoglu. And that's not because I don't rate him as a player. I just don't think that he's ever going to be first choice. And I think at his age, I'd be very, very surprised if he wants to be second fiddle. Or where, I mean, when Benton, Kaur and Basuma are there with Hoiberg as a backup, who obviously might consider his future as well if he doesn't start starting games more regularly you'd be very surprised if skip doesn't want to be a regular starter somewhere because i believe that he's he's more than good enough to be a regular starter in a premier league side for for a sort of top 10 top 15 club i'm, I'm sure he is uh but he didn't yesterday obviously he's capable of better than yesterday but it really didn't shine a good light on him and it did destabilize the team and there were just too many moments where he was diving in for things where he didn't read the game well enough and where he gave the ball away and that that largely contributed i think emerson and skip coming on did largely contribute to why that second half was so disjointed um and then obviously we took up with 10 minutes to go we take off son madison for brennan johnson and um valise and they they didn't really get a look in in that last sort of 10 minutes. LaCelso obviously came on as well. Um, and it, that's his first appearance since the Fulham away game. He hasn't really played much football. He played, I think he came on as a sub for, for Argentina last week. But um, yeah, the point being made really is that I'm obviously as excited about, it, about this situation as anyone else. We're top of the league. We've got great momentum. Anything's possible. But there is a very marked difference when our sort of starting 11 players start to come off the pitch. Um, Brennan Johnson just come back from injury and I'm sure he'll be an asset to us. And I don't think, I'm not really worried in the attacking sense. I think the, in a, the attacking sense, we're pretty shored up. If we get injuries to sort of important players, there will be maybe a difference in ability and quality, but we have got backups in the form of Lacelso who, no matter what anyone wants to say about him, he's he plays for Argentina when he's available in a team with Messi. He's got quality. We know he has. We've seen it in the past. He needs some momentum, obviously. So I'm not too worried about him. We've got Brennan Johnson to come on, who can definitely make an impact. Um, our front areas aren't that light. Um, and we've obviously got Benton Cord to come back when it comes to central midfield as well. But there are areas of, our, in the, of the pitch where if we do lose our first choice, it's a little bit worrying because you just feel like the the quality of the play and the level of the team will go down. And that applies definitely to a dodgy on the left-hand side because we just don't have a replacement of the same quality. Ben Davis wasn't even on the bench yesterday, so I'm not really sure if that was like an injury-related thing or, or not. But Ben Davis 
as is, I believe the, the main reason that Ben Davis is still at Spurs is because he played on the left of that back three for Conte. Um, if he'd stayed just as a left back, I don't think he he would be able to play as a left back consistently for Spurs um, anymore. Not in this system. I just don't think he has the attributes to play as an inverted left back um, for anything more than a sort of ten or fifteen minute cameo, anyway. And then Pedro Porro, who we were so unsure about being a a right back after last season, is one hundred percent the first choice now. He plays. He's brilliant in every game. And now, if we do have to replace him with Emerson for any for any reason, if he gets injured, it's just not going to be the same level. Although Emerson playing out of position on the left, he's not a two footed player. Um, he will obviously his level will be a lot higher if he does play on the right. But yeah, th- nothing to worry about. But we've got a transfer window only sort of eight weeks away, and I feel like. If we do want to achieve something, we will definitely need to shore up. I haven't even mentioned the fact that obviously we're very lucky that so far Romero and Van der Ven have stayed fit for the whole season. Romero obviously came off in the first game, but other than that, so they are probably, you'd say, the most important part of our team at the moment. Look, they're all very important. I wouldn't put, probably shouldn't put any above the other, but you can imagine a very, very steep decline if we have to replace, let's say both of them got injured and we have to play what you'd assume now would be Dyer and Phillips. We haven't seen Phillips yet. Eric Dyer is someone who gets a lot of unnecessary stick from a lot of fans. But, and I, I've i got great affection for him. He's been at the club for ages. He's done some, some good things for us, but he's not a centre-back that can play in a high line because he just doesn't have the pace and he gets turned too easily. Even if he did have the pace, he's an easy player to turn. Um, So that would be worrying. And Andrew will be fully aware of that. We don't need to tell him that. He knows that at the moment, the reason that this is working so well is largely because in the most vital positions, centre midfield, full-backs and at the back, in the the centre-back positions, we haven't had to make too many changes yet. Um, and we've got Benton Core coming back, and it'll be interesting to see how he integrates him. I think it's hard to to sort of see how a fully fit Benton Core doesn't start in that midfield with Basuma. But then you might even say that Benton Core and Basuma are is it one or the other? Because is is Saar the sort of player that that Postecoglou will need to have in that team? Will Benton Core and Basuma want the ball too much? Saar's not too bothered about having the ball. He, he plays simple passes, but he he's more of a sort of a player who chases everything down. And you'd say he's more the the defensive midfielder out of the two when it comes to him and Basuma. Um, so that'd be interesting to see. But I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to see what what ends up happening with that. I'd be surprised. I don't know why. I'd just be surprised if he played Benton Core and Basuma. Uh, together straight away anyway. I think something would have to happen in order for him to do that because I think he really, really does like Saar. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've been saying I'm going to talk about him the whole time. Pierre-Emil Hoiberg deserves a special, a special mention. He really does because we're talking about a player who a lot of fans wanted out in the summer. They wanted rid of him because they sort of were excited about this front foot football and thought that, that they were absolutely certain that Pierre-Emil Hoiberg wasn't going to be able to play in that sort of system. 
And I also thought Hoiberg would want to leave because there was a lot of rumours about Atletico Madrid coming in for him. And you, he probably saw that his game time was going to be limited. I'm sure that would have been sort of indicated to him by Ange. And having played sort of every single game for the last three years for Spurs, you'd imagine he would have wanted to play every game this season. And he may still well move on, but the knives were going to be out for him last night if he hadn't turned up and put in a performance because obviously everyone loves Basuma. Um, and they don't have the same attributes, and there's no talent. There's no doubt who the most talented of those two is. Basuma's got a lot more sort of natural ability. Looks a lot better on the ball. Um, but Hoiberg came in and did an unbelievable job, considering considering the. Pre- I'm sure he would have felt some pressure because he's been on the bench all season. It's the first game he started, and he really, really took to it. And I feel like we saw different parts of his game yesterday that maybe we haven't seen under Mourinho and Conte. And that's something that has to be mentioned. He's only played for Spurs uh, briefly, obviously under Nuno and Mason, but really under Mourinho and Conte are two extremely pragmatic defensive managers. Um, And that's why we saw what we saw for him. The the job he was doing for Spurs last season was the job largely he was asked to do. And I got on his back a few times because I felt like he was, his level really dropped towards the end of last season, but so did everyone else's. And he was just another sort of part of that. He he did my head in specifically last season when I was at Villa Park and I seen him sort of standing around and pointing at everyone and not tracking his man. But that was a disjointed team with players who a lot of them didn't even want to be playing in that team. Romero's another one. They weren't happy. They weren't happy in the 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 system. They weren't happy in the, the way the team was playing. And they weren't they saw the the team sort of sleepwalk into the end of the season. And he was he was a massive part of that. But good coaches who give you good instructions, positive instructions, can really change the way you play. And Hoiberg yesterday didn't faff about. He was great with his feet when he needed to be. Played some brilliant long passes, really, really accurate ones. Um, that sort of Eric Dyer would would love to be able to play. He's the sort of ball that you see Eric Dyer playing quite a lot that would very often not go to the player that he he was aiming for. And Hoiberg did it brilliantly. And if it wasn't for sort of a little bit of lethargy from and uh, arrogance, I'd say, from Richarlison on one occasion where he tried to sort of shoulder the ball down when he didn't need to, he would have set off a really good attack on one occasion as well. So um, he is a very, very useful player for us, Hoiberg. He's he's played a part in nearly every game this season as a sub. Um, and I'd say in a couple of those games, he's really, really been really, really effective, especially thinking about the United game where we were, we were sort of 1-0 up when he came on and he, he shored that up. He came on against Sheffield United and played a part in the in the winning goal. Like He's a really, really useful player. So for those who sort of like eager to get him out the door, be careful what you wish for because we don't have another player in the team like him who's able to come up and shore things up like that, who isn't sort of, who doesn't try and do anything fancy, who knows his limitations and who can be relied upon in most situations to sort of see a game out. Those are important players to have in your side. It's not all about having these flair sort of trick players who are capable of trickery and surging runs forward, because obviously that's what Basuma is. And I'm sure I'd be surprised come Friday if Basuma isn't starting again with, with Saar, but there is also a chance he might not because a yellow card in that and he gets suspended for the Chelsea game. Um, so that is something to think about. But yeah, Hoiberg is a very useful player. And unless we can replace him with someone 
of equal standard or better in January, I'd say definitely keep hold of him for the remainder of this season. I think he'll be happy to be part of that as well. Um, at the end of it, if he hasn't played as much as he wanted to, then you'd probably expect him to move on at the end of the season. But for now, I'd say he's a really, really important part of this squad. And it has to be a squad. And we have to have players that are... It's really important to have substitutes who are getting a lot of game time as well. Because it's no good just having a first eleven where you only bring on players when you absolutely have to when someone gets injured or at the end of a game to see it out. Like, it's good to have a player who's regularly involved in this sort of rotational system where he might not start always, but he always gets a look in. Um, because as we saw yesterday, there's quite a few of those players who haven't played a lot of football and they looked rusty. And Hoiberg plays every game for Denmark, obviously, so he has got a lot of football in him. But it was really, really easy to see uh, that he's he's already been playing with this side, whereas you can see the others maybe look a little bit out of sync with them. Um, yeah, so it was a frustrating second half. As I said, we played well for the in the first half. The second half was, as Andrew said, probably the worst 45 minutes, but we saw the game out. We won it. Um, he was a little bit annoyed with Richarlison. I could see I was as well. He, he was one of the, the biggest culprits for this sort of, uh, liberty taking, as I'm pretty certain that that's what who Andrew was referring to when he was talking about taking liberties, taking a few too many touches, getting sort of being a bit sort of self indulgent, and Richarlison's really, really sort of culpable of that. He's been he's been a a player who sometimes wants to try and take the piss a little bit too much when he's on the ball, and I'm not really sure why it wasn't a situation to do it yesterday. He did it. Forest away last season, obviously started juggling the ball. And it wasn't quite to that extent yesterday, but you could see he was getting a little bit ahead of himself. And it's, I just, that baffles me because he still hasn't, he's scored, he still hasn't scored a goal with his feet for Tottenham. That's an unbelievable statistic, but he's only scored a few for Spurs anyway. Obviously, he scored the two headers at Marseille last season, he scored the header against Liverpool, he scored a header against Fulham in the Carabao Cup, he scored the header against Sheffield United, but he hasn't scored a goal with his feet yet. He's not in a position to be sort of showboating at 2-0 with 25 minutes to go. And that's what it felt like when he tried to do that shoulder down. It's very self-indulgent, unnecessary play. And um, I want him to do well. You really, really do want him to do well. And he, he, he does run his, himself into the ground for the team. But there's just a couple of things, which I'm sure Andrew will get out of him because he was screaming at him. And we haven't seen that much from him so far, Ange, but he was screaming at him yesterday uh, when he did do that. And I think he'll definitely be having a word with him about that uh, and not doing that in the future. Um, and the future is Crystal Palace away on Friday. Uh, great to have two games in a week because we're not used to that at the moment. And um, our next game after that isn't for, it isn't until the following Monday. So we'll have um, a good nine days to prepare for Chelsea, which is good. Um, and as I said earlier, we can go five points clear with a win at Sellers Park, where we do have a really, really good record. And there's no reason to think that we can't take the momentum that we've got from all of these games recently and go on and get on to 26 points, which 26 points off 10 games, as we all know, will be by far the best start that we've had to a Premier League season. It will put us five points clear at the top. It will extend Ange's record-beating run where he's got the... Best ever start to a Premier League season by a new manager. And he just deserves, as I mean, you can only say it so many times, but unbelievable credit. To say that 
that second half was the worst 45 minutes we've had under him so far makes you sort of reflect on all the other 45 minutes we've had this season, all the other first halves and second halves. And it's hard to pick out in other than maybe the Carabao Cup, we weren't great, but in the Premier League, it's hard to pick out a bad 45 minutes that we've had this season other than that second half. And that's incredible because it's not been, it's not just about the results with him. You find that's the most refreshing thing about him, I think, is that let's say that Conte was the manager yesterday. He wouldn't have come out and, and made any sort of comment about the bad performance because he only cared about the result. It was He had no interest in nice football, playing well, sort of intricate passing, entertaining the fans, none of that. It was no interest of no interest in him. He was about let's get the result. That's what matters. And if we play if we didn't get the result, then he'd be angry. And if we did, then he'd be happy. And that's all that mattered. And there's a there's an argument for results being the only thing that matters, but they're not. We don't go to the stadium to just get a result. We go there because football's an entertainment industry. We want to see our team playing good football. And Ange wasn't happy because even though we were good without the ball, which would have been perfect under Conte, we weren't good enough with it. We weren't um, efficient enough. We didn't create enough chances in the second half. Ange isn't about getting a game to 2-0 and then seeing it out for the next 45 minutes. He's about getting a game to 2-0 and trying to go on and win 3-4-5-0. And that game was definitely there for the taking yesterday if we'd been a little bit better on the ball. So that's a great sign that Ange isn't satisfied with that. He's not going to be happy just because we won a game. He wants us to be playing at our best in every single game. And I'm sure that he'll drill that into them. And He's already, I think he already said, if I remember rightly in his interview last night, he was already talking about the videos he's going to show the team um, for the way that they they sort of didn't implement his plan very well in the second half. And that means that we'll be taking that through to Palace on Friday. And I firmly believe we'll beat them for a number of reasons. I don't think they're very good for starters. I don't think they've been very good this season. I think Roy Hodgson's a spent force and I think they'll regret using that back part of last season to give him a, another chance this season. I don't think they're very progressive. Um, they don't score a lot of goals. And I think we'll go there and put in a really, really good performance. And let's hope so. Um, if we do that, like I said, we'll go five points clear at the top. It'll be an unbelievable start to the season. We're dreaming at the moment. Let's be honest about it. We're dreaming. We want to dream for as long as we can. As I keep saying, it's a kind of unsettling feeling that we're at the top of the league um, because now we have something that we want to hold on to as sort of delusional as some fans may see that. Like, now that we're there, you want to stay there. It's normal. We're not talking about two games into the season. We're talking about 10 games into the season, which is less than, a, which is more than a quarter of the way into this season. So, you win on Friday and then you've got Chelsea at home, which is a game that, again, you should be going in hoping to win. Uh, they look a little bit better, Chelsea, than they have done, but they're still struggling to score goals, really. When you see the goals that they scored against Arsenal the other day, they were, it was a penalty and a sort of some across which Mudrick is claiming was a shot um, from, from out wide. They haven't, they're still struggling to score goals. Um, and they still are very, very susceptible at the back to giving goals away. I think Spurs in full flow 
at home with the fans behind us with the very, very important footnote that Pochettino is returning to Spurs. That's going to be an unbelievable atmosphere. And I'd be, I'd be surprised if Chelsea, with all the young players they have, will be able to, to cope with it. But that's nine days away. Well, not even nine days away. That's uh, nearly two weeks away. We'll get to that after the Palace game. But momentum, as I keep saying, is massive. We've got momentum still. We're still unbeaten. We can go to Palace on Friday. If we win that game, it's Chelsea. Then it's Wolves away. Then it's City. Then it's another international break, for fuck's sake. And then um, then we return after that international break, I think. Is it City away after that? It may, the mate, I may have got that wrong. Um, we'll, go, we'll go into that another time. No, that, sorry. Then we've got West Ham. We've got um, Villa. Is at home is the first game after the international break in that game against after that game against Wolves. So the the way the fixture list is looking at the moment, we're talking about games that all look winnable on paper until you get to City away at the beginning of December. Our next four games: Palace, Chelsea, Wolves away, and Villa at home. They're tough. There's no doubt about it, but. The way that Andrew's got us feeling about these games, we're not going into them thinking, oh, that's a difficult one. We're going into them thinking, yeah, it is, but we should be winning it. Palace away, we should be winning. Chelsea at home, we should be winning. Wolves away, look, they beat City already. And we just saw Gary O'Neill pretty much get an entire night of analysis to, to go over Spurs, as I'm sure he would have done anyway. But it was funny to watch that he was sort of analysing very much in detail, a team that he's going to be facing. I'm sure he'll have a plan for us. And Villa, very, very good at the moment. Um, but there's no reason to think that we can't win those. And then if you, again, not getting ahead of myself, but if you win those four games, then there's no doubt people cannot even question if a team with 11 wins from their first 13 games is a title contender. Because if you can keep that up, then anything really is possible. And I'm starting to believe more and more that it is. That's what it's about. I, look, I don't get, I know some people do, but I don't get excited about the potential prospect of finishing the top four. And it'd be great. Look, if we finish second, third or fourth and we get Champions League football again for the season after, we'll be happy with it. Absolutely. I'll be happy with it. But we've been there and done that. That's a, a, a race that we've pretty much been speaking about for the last 15 or so years. Spurs, will they get into the top four? Spurs, will they get into, they get into the top four? That's great. That's, ex that's, that's a nice thing to do, but that's not a trophy. And that doesn't fill me with the same sort of excitement as it might have done before we'd achieved it in sort of 2009, 2010. We may be pissing in the wind, but we have a very rare opportunity here where we have a... We have a season without Europe where we don't have a game every three days like pretty much every other team that we're competing against in that top eight do. I mean, that even includes Villa and Brighton, like Newcastle, Arsenal, Liverpool, United, City, Chelsea are the only ones who don't. They all have European football. They all have to play pretty much for the majority of the season. They're going to have to play every three or four days. And we don't have that burden. It's a rare, rare opportunity. Guarantee you, if Leicester, in the season that they won the league, had to play European football every three days or every week, they wouldn't have won the league. They had the advantage against everyone else of a season free of European football 
to progress and win games. And that is a huge advantage for us. And that's why I believe that, do I believe we're going to win the league? I'm not really sure, to be honest. I don't want to say yes. I believe that we've got a much better chance than we're being given credit for. People are looking for any opportunity to downplay what we're doing. Of course, it's a small, it's a small sort of segment of football to go on. We're talking about nine games, but like I said, we've played half the teams in the league pretty much. We've got momentum. We've got the advantage of only playing once every week, which is important for injuries and important for the fact that we've got plenty of time on the training pitch with a, what is still a new manager. We've got an opportunity here that we will not have for a long time, I don't think, because the idea is to get into Europe. So the idea is to have Europe every season. This season, we don't have it. Let's make the most of it. I believe that we should be aiming for the top. And I'm sure inside, Ange definitely is. He's a winner. He hasn't managed in other places with the hope of finishing in the top four of the league. He's done it with the hope of winning it, regardless of whether that's in Scotland or Australia or Japan. It doesn't matter. He wants to win. He's not thinking, oh, well, now I'm in England. I don't want to win so much because uh, I'm managing a, a smaller team in a bigger league with bigger teams. He's not thinking that. He's an ambitious bloke. He is a winner. And hopefully he's drilling that into the players as well, because we have an opportunity here, as I keep saying. And like I said, if we get top four and we finish in second or third or fourth or wherever it may be, then it will still be a positive season. But we should be aiming for the top because it's not exciting to be at the top four race again. We've bet, I mean, any Spurs fan over the last, like I said, ever since the sort of Martin Yole era where we nearly did it, Lasagnagate and all that. And ever since we first got in there under Harry Redknapp, the narrative with Spurs is, are they going to be in the top four this season? And that is, quite frankly, boring to talk about. I don't want to talk about that anymore. I want to talk about the possibility that we might actually achieve something incredible. So let's keep getting behind the team. Keep believing that it's possible. Keep our feet on the ground, obviously, to an extent. Not get ahead of ourselves and say we're going to do it. But realise and respect the fact that we are in the conversation. And there's no reason that we shouldn't aim for the sky because that's what football's all about. You'll get put down by the fans on social media or whatever for getting ahead of yourself and being typical Spurs, like give them, an, give them a little tiny hint of success and they think they're the best team in the world. It's none of that. We've got so much to work on, but something special is happening in that stadium and something special is happening with that team. So get behind it. Don't be negative. Believe that anything's possible. Um, and yeah, anything is possible. That's it from me for the 10th episode of the Suffering the Spurs podcast. Thank you very much for everyone who's listened so far. I've been on the analytics section on my Spotify and I can see that I've got listeners somehow from all around the world, um, at least 20 or 30 different countries represented there. So I really, really appreciate it. Um, I'll continue. They say most podcasts don't make it past the first 10 episodes because people give up. I won't be giving up. So thank you to everyone who's listened to uh, a 37-year-old man talking to a mic on his own about Spurs for 45 or 50 minutes every week. Um, next one will be after that Palace game on Friday. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>